0: Thank you for tuning in to Bible Storming Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, our aim is to help you be intentional in how you think about the Bible. It is more than just reading the words. It is about diving deep into the text. So let's study together. Here is your host, Daniel Webster.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Bible Storming Podcast. It is your host, Daniel Webster, and I'm joined today once again for the last time, hopefully not forever, but for this series at least, by my good friend, Johnny Royal. Johnny, talk to me, man. What's up?
2: What's up, man? Thanks for having me on again. I'm excited in two major ways. I'm excited to get into uh, the discussion uh, about specifically the omniscience of Jesus today. But also to to wrap up this series, it's been it's been a lot longer than we anticipated.
1: <laughs> it's been a marathon, dude. Like, <laughs> but it's it's helped me at least to hopefully and hopefully our, our listeners to formulate our thoughts about Jesus and, and try to understand, you know, how how all of this took place, how how it was even possible for it to take place. So, in this episode, we're we're doing something a little different. Um, for the concluding episode of, of this this series on the incarnation, we're kind of reversing the tables a little bit um to where Johnny is going to take kind of the lead in this this episode in terms of asking the questions and, and trying to figure out what's what's going on with with my view, I guess, of, of the incarnation. And maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about why we're we're kind of reversing the tables and, and what, what's gone into that and just let us know kind of what we're what we're doing with this episode.
2: Yeah. So me and you have discussed this topic a ton over the past couple weeks, and uh, we have each had some questions for each other, and I don't know that our views of the incarnation are 100% the same. In fact, each of us probably understands things a little bit differently, and uh, the good news is we both, in the way that we look at Jesus, fit within those fence posts that we've been talking about. Uh, every episode. But also, um, we're trying to each come up with a model that makes sense to us how that it was possible that Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, in the same body, and at the same time. And so both both you and me are trying to piece that together. And the way that our puzzles are looking, I think we're probably both missing a few of the pieces, but we're trying to put that picture together.
1: That's the goal, right? We're we're doing our best. I mean, it's kind of like um, it, like imagine if you're you're swimming in like a a deep, really deep and and really choppy pool, and and you have like a fence around around the the edges of the pool. So you know you're in the fences, right? Like that's that's where you want to be, because as long as you're in the fences, you're not gonna drown. At least in this analogy, but and this is probably not a good analogy, but uh, (laughs) we're gonna roll with it.
2: So, but we're we're so. And Daniel is a little taller than me. So, so he's able to keep his head above the water more we're when trying. the choppy waves come, and so that's why Possibly. I'm asking him the questions because <laughs> because he's taller, he's got his that's stuff it. together here.
1: Only reason, but um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's I mean we're we're both within that within the the fences of this pool, and we're both kind of trying to keep our heads above the water, but we're we're swimming in different ways, right? Maybe you're doing a nice little little butterfly stroke, getting real fancy <laughs> with it. And I'm just I'm just kind of chilling, um, just the regular. You know, in Alabama they taught us one way to swim, and that's that's stay above the water. So that's all that's I'm trying good. to do. <laughs> but yeah, so let's go ahead and dive in, because this is this is probably going to be a a pretty deep, lengthy episode. So get ready to to think through it. Try to <laughs> try to think through stuff. We've been spending. I mean, I don't even know how many hours trying to figure all this out. And so we're about to about to dump what we've tried to figure out on you and then maybe you can make, t- take it farther and actually figure it out and, and see, if it, see if it makes sense to you and let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear it. So anyways, Johnny, take us away, man. What you thinking?
2: All right, so I think uh, we're going to hit a few questions, and uh, some of them we talked about. Some of them will probably pop up as we go, but where do we start, uh, or where do you start, with laying out your view of the incarnation, especially when we talk about, you know, we talked about some of this, but especially as we talk about the omniscience of Jesus. It seems like maybe he grew in knowledge, but it also seems like he knew everything. How is that the case?
1: Yeah, that's 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 the tough thing, right? And so in Luke two fifty two, it says that Jesus increased in wisdom as he grew older, and in Mark thirteen thirty two, Jesus said that no one, not not even him, besides the no one besides the father, knew when he was coming back for his second coming. So. Jesus didn't know everything, but then Mark two twenty four says that Jesus knew all, and then people is in the ESV text, but it was inserted into the Greek. Not that it's a necessarily a bad insertion, but the Greek just says that he knew all, and if he knew all people, that pretty much points toward omniscience, anyways. And then Mark sixteen, or sorry, John sixteen thirty, also says that Jesus knew all, and in this case, things is inserted into the Greek text, and John twenty one seventeen. uh, Peter says that Jesus knew everything. So it seems that on the one hand, Jesus didn't know everything, but on the other hand, he did know everything. So the, the problem that we're facing is trying to figure out how that's possible because we know that God knows everything, that he is omniscient. That's the really fancy theological philosophical word for it, that he knows all. And we know that Jesus was God, but how, how is this possible for, for him not to actually know everything and yet know everything at the same time? So uh, let, me, let me, I guess, just go ahead and give my theory and see if, see if this makes sense. I know Johnny has, has you know, some questions about it because really of the, the model that it's built on. And like we said, our, our models are very similar, but they're just very slight distinctions in them. And we'll probably talk about that some as, as this yeah. goes. But um, for you, the listener, just, I want you to listen to, to what I'm saying and listen to what Johnny's saying. Just make up your own mind. Like This is, this is what we're inviting you to do. We're, we're trying to, to brainstorm through the Bible right, and its teachings, to Bible storm. So I want you to listen and, and make up your own mind about what you think because I've been wrong probably more times than I've been right. And Johnny's not quite at that ratio, but he's, he might be pretty close. So. It's close, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're getting there. You're betting over 500, though, so better than me. <laughs> But yeah, so here's my theory. And I want to emphasize that this is, this is just a theory, right? There, there are several di- different ways that we can deal with this gray area. But this is the one that I think the scripture points toward, the, the most likely one in my mind. So let me start by, by saying something about kind of how all of us are made up as humans. We all have what philosopher William James calls the subliminal self. So we all have a subliminal self. Now, basically what that means is that we all have a self that's beneath our regular human consciousness. So this subliminal self is, is believed by psychologists, especially like uh, psychodynamicists dy- uh, and, and other people like that. They believe that this subliminal self influences many of our unconscious thoughts and needs and emotions and things like that, which then push their way into our consciousness kind of indirectly. So basically, this this subliminal self plays a huge part in who we are, but we just don't think of it as being there. Now, I think it's possible, possible, right, that that subliminal self was the primary location of the divine elements in Jesus' consciousness. So basically, certain divine parts of Jesus' personality were in many ways subliminal while he was on earth. So, what I mean by that is that they were beneath the surface of his consciousness. So Jesus had a normal human consciousness. He he experienced the world, he viewed the world in, in much the same ways, or many of the same ways that we do. But that normal human consciousness on this theory was underlain, as it were, by a divine subconsciousness. So similar to we have, similar to how we have a, a subliminal self that influences us in ways that we aren't always aware of, I think certain parts of the divine side of Jesus' personality, we might say, lay under the surface of his conscious experience. Now, an extreme example of this, this subliminal self that I'm talking about is multiple personality disorder, where one person has multiple personalities. So what actually, what happens with, with somebody who has multiple personality disorder is that these subliminal influences that we're talking about erupt into their actual conscious experience as separate personalities inside of one person. So you have one person, but you have completely separate personalities within that person. Now, in some cases of multiple personality disorder, there's even one dominant personality who's aware of all the other personalities and knows what each of them knows, but they don't know that he exists. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that Jesus had multiple personality disorder or anything like that. He he was one person, had one personality. Right now, I'm just talking about how we all have these subliminal fact- factors that affect our conscious experience. That They affect our thoughts and views and things like that. And multiple personality disorder is an extreme illustration of that. It shows us how when the subliminal erupts. Uh, It gives us an example of of this subliminal erupting into somebody's human consciousness to where you can see that there are different things that underlie each of our regular human consciousness, consciousnesses, and and (laughs) how we view the world, right? So on this model, and I'm going to pass it right back to you, Johnny. I want to get your thoughts. Jesus is one person, right? So I want to be very clear about that. He's one person, has one personality. This doesn't make him more than one person any more than the conscious and subconscious aspects of your life make you more than one person, right? You have a conscious and subconscious experience, but you're still one person. So, so he's, he's one person, but within his person, his consciousness and subconsciousness are separated in, in what we might call a theologically significant way. So that's kind of the basic, and I know that was... Uh, probably not that basic, but uh, the basic model that I'm kind of working with here. Yeah.
2: So when you have a text uh, like John two twenty four that he knew all, in your model you would say, well, that's talking about in his subconscious, like that knowledge was Jesus's knowledge, but at the same time in his um, in his conscious mind, he he grew. In wisdom, Luke two fifty two. Is that that's how you'd put those two together?
1: Right. So the omniscient, like Jesus, the the person, the the being, was omniscient. Like he he did know everything. But like if you walked up to Jesus of Nazareth and asked him a question about like auto mechanics, like he he might not have like on this on this model, he he wouldn't have known. The answer to that question unless yeah. it was and we'll get into into this more unless it was he was authorized to access that knowledge by the father
2: yeah, you know what would be helpful i think um and it, I just thought of it as you're explaining that, and, and we've talked about this before, and this exact analogy hasn't hit me, but as you're explaining it again, it hit me Have you ever um learned something and then some amount of time went by and you you uh you you thought you forgot that thing, and uh, you hear it again eventually, or someone else says it, or someone asks you a question. Do you know this? And you say no, and they go on to explain to you the situation or or whatever they're going to tell you. you know, oh, I I did already know that. Right. I, yeah. I, I forgot, and so it was in your subconscious mind, but it wasn't easily accessible. Uh, and so I know that's not a perfect analogy, but I think that we can relate to um, to to having and undergirding knowledge, but to not have that undergirding knowledge at, at ready access.
1: Absolutely. Like, I I think that's pretty much exactly what I'm kind of postulating here. It's like we, so we can kind of do this to a certain extent where we can try not to think about something, right? Like in, in our limited human powers, (laughs) I can try not to think about something. Now, for me, oftentimes what happens is that if I try not to think about something, right, it, it's, all i can think about. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes, you know, we can try and we can do pretty well at that or we might distract ourselves with different things, stuff like that to where we can to some extent control what is in our conscious experience. But then even more than that, like you were talking about, we all have a, an ocean of knowledge that is at our disposal, but we don't, you know, access it on a second by second basis. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm coming from, like uh, at least congruent to my model of of the incarnation.
2: Yeah, and 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 in your model, and uh, maybe we can talk about a few distinctions. Maybe I'll i just give a short explanation of the way that I, I look at the verses and try to put my model together. But in your model, uh, it's really congruent. There's no scripture that it contradicts, and it's it's a model that deals fairly with the The information that we have available, um, as far as is the way that that um, I see it, and I know that we're going to talk more about the main difference in our models later. But the way that I think of it is that as a man, Jesus didn't make himself privy to the divine knowledge, so that as a man, he was he was born just like any other man. He had. Uh, subconscious and a conscious just like any other man and he gained knowledge through sensory input just like anyone. And so mm-hmm. when Jesus heard uh heard the word of God read, um he he grew in wisdom. And I think that's actually the the context of Luke 2 uh, 52. It's dealing with the boy Jesus there and and he's developing into manhood. We don't know much about the boyhood of Jesus because Luke 2.52 just tells us that he grew. It tells us that he grew, and then it really starts off into his ministry in the next chapter. And so I kind of get the idea that Jesus, as a man, um, learned like you and I did, but also since he was the unique being that he was with his second nature, in his divine nature, he knew all things. Now, it's really hard for me to explain how it's logistically possible for him to know all things, yet not have those things in his conscious mind uh but but that's the way that it seems to be that in in the divine nature Jesus knew all things and in the human nature well he, he 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 does like you and me he, he grew in 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 wisdom and in knowledge and and so forth
1: right and kind of we we can talk about kind of basically I'll summarize real quick the 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 difference between my model that i'm kind of working with at this point and and your model and these are the two models that i've heard the most in the so we're we're both members of the church of christ and so these are these are the models that i've heard the most from particularly your model i believe um yeah. that i've heard the most from members of the church and and correct me you know if i if i misrepresent you at all but as as far as i understand your model is that Jesus basically suspended certain divine attributes that they weren't necessary to being God. Like we talked about um, how natures are the essential properties that make something what it is. So these would not be essential properties to being God. And he suspended them, like omniscience, for instance. And he was given access to them when it fit God's plan, basically. And we'll talk more about that later on. Yeah,
2: so to answer that, and and in uh in principle Jesus didn't give up his principal knowledge like it's impossible if if you know all things to not know all things it that just can't work mm-hmm. uh but in practice as a man um he didn't have that knowledge in his human mind like like our minds uh our brains that, that hold the information that we have is different than the divine knowledge that, that Jesus had. And the way that I think of it, and I'll try to give an analogy, and every analogy that I give, I always say it's a crude analogy, uh, just because, I mean, when you're comparing something to, to the Bible or, or to, to God's Word, I mean, it's really hard. it is,
1: this, like the, the nature and character of, yeah. of God and man combined.
2: Yeah, and so I, I do want to preface it that way, but I'm, I'm kind of a dork, uh, and so I think about like a computer hard drive, Except imagine, if it were possible, a hard drive that had unlimited space and had all information in the hard drive. And then for a certain amount of time, there was a partition made in the hard drive where that information wasn't accessed by the computer. Now, the hard drive still had the information, but for that, for whatever reason, uh, the person who set up the partition didn't allow the computer to access that knowledge for that set amount of time and that's that's kind of how i picture what happened and and that's how i can see that okay you have luke 252 jesus grew in his wisdom mark 13 32 that that at that point in time as a man he says that he didn't know the day uh of that day the last day in the context there but also that you have simon look at him uh and and he says lord you know everything in John twenty one seventeen, mm-hmm. because that acts, Jesus did have that knowledge, but he was also a man who, who in right. and, and, and the way, in the way that I model it, chose not to access that knowledge. He chose to live like any other man, but he was the perfect man.
1: I think we're, <laughs> so this is, this is not according to plan, but <laughs> I, I, I think like we've talked about this so much that our views have pretty much become the exact same to where, yeah, I think like that's that's what I'm saying, that the, that those he didn't give up. He, he didn't suspend those attributes away from him. Right. Okay. But he, he still had them inherent within him. So right. would you affirm that or would you say that he suspended them away from his person?
2: I would affirm, but I would say the distinction is is that I don't think he ever accessed his own divine knowledge as a man where I think that you might say that he did. And and I think that's the main difference. We'll talk about how he accessed that knowledge, yeah. my, the way that I think about that and the way that you might think about that according to scripture.
1: Yeah, I think, so that's something we'll get to in a minute, I think. But okay, but that kind of gives us a nice segue. Okay, let's talk about how this model, like I guess it's it's my model, but it's you, you basically affirm the same thing, at least with what we've talked about so far, or say that it's it's possible, which is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, Um. So let's talk about how this, in, in my, in my thinking, my view, this provides a, a satisfying account of how the New Testament portrays Jesus. So for example, in his conscious experience, like, like you were talking about, Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom in the same way that any child does. So this keeps us from, from thinking of the incarnation like a school play, right? It's not, it's not that Jesus was acting and the earth was his stage. When he was a baby and he was nursing at Mary's breast, he wasn't just pretending to be a baby. He wasn't just pretending to be hungry or sleepy or cranky. He wasn't lying in that manger, looking like a baby on the outside, but on the inside, thinking about the cosmological constant or or the quantum mechanics or infinitesimal calculus, right? He, He wasn't just pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. He was really, genuinely, fully human. He had a normal human consciousness. Now, this also applies to later on in Jesus' life, like what you were talking about, like even as an adult, Jesus in his waking consciousness actually didn't know some things, right? That that makes sense of Mark thirteen thirty two. If he did have the knowledge of the logos in his conscious experience, why didn't he know when he's coming back? And if it, if it's just that he had the knowledge like on one side of his nature and not the other, then does it not seem dishonest of Jesus to say like I don't know that? You know, he doesn't say like whoa, you know, one of my natures knows it, but I just don't feel like telling you right now. Yeah, he says I don't know that. Only only the Father does. So there are some things that Jesus simply didn't know. Now, I think we might can, can postulate might can uh, hypothesize that his divine subliminal kept him from error and, and maybe often enlightened him of things. Now, this is just me um, theorizing. So, just to kind of break this down a little bit, the Logos had all the knowledge in the world, right? Or, or outside of the world, for that matter. He, he knew everything from quantum mechanics to auto mechanics. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the historical figure, Jesus, would have been able to answer questions about those things because he had stooped so low in coming down to take on the human condition. Like, like if you can, like if you're, if you're driving, don't do this. But if you're just listening <laughs> to this and, and just hanging out or whatever, stop what you're doing right now and close your eyes, okay? Can you see what's in front of you? No. But do you lack the ability to see what's in front of you? No. Not not unless you, you can't see what's in front of you for some other reason. So that's that's basically what I'm saying. That Jesus still had the ability, the attributes inherent within him, but that he could do this with his knowledge, that he could close himself off to things that he knew. That's what that's what we're postulating here. So, like I said, we can kind of do this, right? We can we can try not to think of things. Um, but maybe Jesus knew like that somewhere he knows this thing, but he's not bringing it to his mind because he has these human limitations. He's intentionally subjecting himself to ignorance, which is what a thought, just like how we can close our eyes. Now, now maybe a point toward this model is the initial belief of Jesus' family. John 7 5 says that even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, there could be a lot of, of reasons for that, right? Like jealousy, hard hearts, but one possible reason is that on the outside, Jesus was, for, for the most part, a normal kid. He, he wasn't predicting the future all the time or, or healing their scraped knees or saving Mary the trouble of cooking and cleaning with, with a snap of his little, his little 10-year-old fingers. No, he, he had a real human experience, right? And that showed on the outside. Now, Johnny, I've got some other things that, that, I'm, that I think this pacifies from the New Testament, but feel free to hop in whenever you want. And, yeah. and give any thoughts. Um, so also on this model, Jesus was genuinely tempted by the devil. So whether or not he, he was actually capable of sinning is, is a different matter. Now, that's, that's something that's like that uh, philosophers and, and theologians will debate about, and, and it's, it's a tough question to answer. But whatever you think about that, on this model, he really felt the pull of temptation. It wasn't like Superman and the bullets are just bouncing off left and right and he doesn't feel them. No, he, he was tempted, just like you and I are. On this model, he, he also really felt the entire spectrum of human anxieties and worries and pain and fatigue and hunger. So this, this model also preserves the integrity of Jesus' prayer life. He wasn't just faking. Like, like in Gethsemane, he, he wasn't acting like he was struggling with facing the cross. He actually was. Like His human conscious experience was really struggling through this. It also explains how Jesus could be perfected by suffering, like Hebrews 5, 8, 9 says that he was as well as how he could grow in favor with God, like Luke 2.52 says that yeah. he did. Not that he ever did anything wrong or sinful, because we know that never happened, right? Hebrews 4.15. But through experiencing life with, with a genuine human consciousness, Jesus grew as a man. So on this model, we have a Jesus who, who's not only fully divine, but who also experienced the entire experience, I guess, of humanity that we do. And not just the human nature, but the human condition. He had a genuinely human consciousness. It began as a normal little baby, and it grew up to be a boy, and then finally a man. So, so it's not like Jesus was Superman. Like, if you watch the old Superman movies with, like, Christopher Reeves, he'll pretend to get hurt, or, or that he can't lift something. But we all know that he's pretending, because he's not really being hurt, right? There's no suffering there's no difficulty going on for him. He's just pretending to be a normal human. Clark Kent is not a real person, right? He's just a fabrication. That's not what it was like with Jesus. Jesus was a real person who actually got hungry and tired and thirsty. He actually was a baby. He actually hurt for us. He actually died for us. This wasn't some kind of joke or, or some kind of play or, or charade. The, the Bible isn't a superhero comic book, right? Like this this is, real life, history. Johnny, let me know what you're thinking, man.
2: Yeah, man. So I was just thinking about, and um, I was just thinking about the idea of of a theophany, in that it seems like that God could express Himself to man, in in an appearance of man, and not actually be man. And many would argue that you know when you see, and this is a whole other discussion, and I don't want to get off track. But when you see like the messenger of the Lord, <laughs> the messenger of the Lord in the Old Testament, and some say was that the second member of the Godhead? Was that was that Jesus? Um, if it was, it was it was as a theophany because it wasn't until he he put on the flesh. I mean, it, it's different of as a theophany or the idea of God looking like man, and and then Jesus who was God and man, and right, yeah. like
1: all, all of those were temporary right yeah whereas the incarnation that we're talking about remember incarnation just literally means enfleshment the, the enfleshment that we are talking about is permanent right jesus is still a man today first timothy 2 5 the man christ jesus where you know this this is this is a theophany in in one sense but it's so much more in another yeah. sense to yeah. where I, th- this is different than anything that we had ever seen or, or ever will see again
2: I think about Emmanuel, and I think about you know there's God above us, and then Emmanuel is Emmanuel is, is God with us, and so mm. it's it's him taking on the nature of man, and bridging the gap between us and him.
1: Okay, so we got to keep this moving because we're oh, already yeah. we're already this is going to be a very long episode, <laughs> but we have this question right. Jesus, it, it seems often displayed supernatural knowledge. Now, if you want to look up some of these, these references, you can. John 1 48, John 2 24, John 6 64, John 16 30, John 21 17. So obviously on this model, right? His, his subliminal was omniscient. So that explains how he has the knowledge, but how did he gain access to it? When? Why? All the other other questions, the W's and H's or whatever they are. So did he have access to the subliminal whenever he wanted? He could just reach down deep, we might say, and he just chose not to do it too often? Or in his state of humiliation, had he really given up access to it? Did his subliminal self kind of undergird him like I was talking about earlier and and keep his waking consciousness from error? Or did the Holy Spirit guide him to keep him from error? Or or how how did all of this work? Now, it, it seems to me that any of those is, is probably a valid option. Johnny, do you have any, any thoughts
2: on those? Yeah. I know that this is something that, that we've talked about in the past, and I'll say that with my model, um, the, way that the most cohesive model that I see is that if it is the case that Jesus uh, limited himself in certain ways, that I view that he did that um, completely, he limited himself as a man. And so when you see Jesus having supernatural knowledge, but also there were points in his life where he didn't have supernatural knowledge, I don't take that to mean that in his conscience, in his conscious mind, he was omniscient. But just like anybody, any man who's ever had supernatural knowledge, it was knowledge revealed to him through the Spirit. And so it seems like that uh, Jesus as a man... um, did miracles and had revelation just like any man has ever had. And that's through the spirit of God. And I guess the biggest text that, that leads me to, to kind of look through this lens when I'm looking at this incarnation is over in Matthew 12, 28. And so it's the idea that Jesus was casting out demons and, uh, The uh, I think it was the Pharisees, yeah, in verse 24 said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And Jesus goes on to explain in verse 28 that he is casting out demons by the Spirit of God. And then he goes on to explain that if anybody attributes the work of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, to Beelzebub, then uh, they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And so it seems like that, that when Jesus did a miracle, he did it through the Holy Spirit. And just that with the idea that, that he did grow in knowledge, that, that maybe he didn't know all things in his conscious mind, makes me think, um, and I could be wrong here, and I'll admit that, but it just makes me think that it's the Spirit that shared the mind of God. And man, I didn't write the reference down, but you can go over to 1 Corinthians 2 or 3, how can you know the mind of God unless Spirit he Spirit searches it to you? the deep
1: things, yeah, it's First yeah. Corinthians 2. Yeah, no, I think that's a, like, I think, like you said, that is the strongest point toward your model of, of how this worked. And, and I think it's, like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what the answer to that is on my model. And I'll give, I'll, but I'll give the, the listeners kind of, we've talked through this, but yeah. give the listeners why I'm at, where I'm at, kind of two main reasons. First is a, a grouping of verses, one of which is Hebrews 1, three, that Jesus, and it seems to be referring, like, based on the, the context and, like, especially verse 2 and following, it seems to be talking about him while on earth, his, his earthly experience. It says that he is the exact imprint of God's nature. And imprint, the word and the, the thought really also seem to point to that, to where imprint, like, the imprint of God, the visible imprint of God on Earth, the exact imprint of God's nature. So verses like that, and verses like Colossians one fifteen, where it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, seems to point toward it. And then also Colossians one nineteen, which which we've discussed a lot. Colossians one nineteen, and we, and I think we both agree that the the optimal interpretation of it refers to Jesus while he was on earth, but that a possible interpretation is that it's him right now in heaven. Um, but, but Colossians 1.19 says that in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So like it doesn't say all the fullness of God except you know certain attributes that he yeah, sure. gave up, that kind of thing. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. But then also the text like John 2.24, John 16.30, John 21.17, that say that Jesus knew all. And so it's a, it's a really tough thing. Like, and I think both of our models are logically coherent, biblically consistent, but that's why I, I go with mine. And I would love to hear any, any listeners that y'all are thinking, thinking through this with us, let us know what you're thinking, because we, you know, we are not pretending that we have all the answers. We're just people who are trying to study through this, right. And, and think through it together.
2: So I think that's, a good segue into like the last thing that we want to talk about, because I think that we'll agree even with slight nuanced differences in our models, we're going to agree on how this impacts our view of Jesus as, as when we're reading scripture and we're looking at who Jesus was as the God man on this earth. Um, how, I guess I'll ask it. How does your model impact the context of Jesus when you read it? read about him in the word.
1: Oh man, there's, there's so much that I, I wanna say about this. But I think it kind of starts with what we were talking about a few minutes ago, where how and when did he decide, like how and when did he gain access to the supernatural knowledge? However it, it came to him, right? How and when did that decide? So on, on my model, my thinking, I think he limited himself from that subliminal knowledge, right? He kept himself from that. And when he did access it, it was at God the Father's instruction. So from moment to moment, he was getting instruction from his Father, just being in complete submission to and reliance on him. Like we should be, right? Now, when he did things, I think it was through his own power, but it seems like it was at the, uh, it was was coming at the permission of the Father. So toward the the end of the Incredibles movie, great movie, by the way, (laughs) if you remember... (laughs) dash the the son right is is running a race against some kids his age but he's the fastest person on earth right so so his parents don't want him to overdo it they want they're trying to keep their identity under wraps their powers so while he's running this race he keeps looking over at his dad and his mom to get instructions from them about how fast he should be running and so they tell him to to speed up and he goes from last to first and just i mean just like that and then they're like oh no 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 no, slow down and so he goes back to last and then they're like close second close second and he could easily race off as fast as he wants, right? But, but he's listening. He's submitting to their instructions. Now, it's a cheesy example for sure. And I use the word crude, as, as you would say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it, it kind of gives us a simple analogy to understand this idea of Jesus receiving moment-to-moment instruction from his Father about what to do and, and not to do, when to heal and not to heal, what to know and not to know. I think he has the power to do those things on his own. He's God. He, he possessed all the fullness of God. All, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the uh, image of the invisible God. He's God. But he's not accessing that power apart from his Father's will. So there, there are several verses, especially in John, that, uh, that I think point toward this. One of which is John 5. 19 through 37. So if you have a minute, go and or a few minutes, <laughs> go and read that section and see what you think. But I'll, I'll point out just I'll read parts of it and just know that this is all coming from John 5:19 through 37 and see see what you think. So this is Jesus talking. He says, "Most surely I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these." That you may marvel, for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son, that, that all should honor the son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now later on, I know I'm starting to read all of this, but later on in the text he says, "For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the son of man. Later on, I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Later on, I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. So, back in the very beginning of this, verse 19, what he sees the Father doing, it's an active tense in the verb. So this is an ongoing scene. So it's not just that Jesus was following a plan that was laid out ahead of time. In some cases, that's definitely true, right? Like with the cross, that was prophesied ahead of time. He prophesies about it. He talks details. He's not in the dark about his mission or anything like that. But it may be that moment to moment, like, like Jesus goes somewhere, and, and while he's there, the Father reveals to him, like, this is, this is what I want you to do right now. And he just does it in the moment. Perfect obedience, perfect submission. At all times. Now, there, there are other verses, John six thirty eight, 38, um, and other verses in John, but I want to read a few more. John eight twenty six through 29, Jesus says that, I speak to the world those things which I heard from the Father. And he says, when you lift me up, then you'll know that I am the Son of God, the, the Son of Man, and that, I, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Now, in this text, the ESV has the phrase, do nothing of my own authority. I was reading from the New King James, I do nothing of myself. ESV says, do nothing of my own authority. NASB says, I do nothing of my own initiative. So he doesn't do it by his own authority. He doesn't do it by his own initiative. He has to be authorized. He has to be initiated by the Father. Now, is that because He is inherently unable to do any of these things? No, it's because he has willingly submitted, he chose to comply with the Father's authority. John 14, 31, as the Father gave me commandment, so do I. John 17, 8, John 6, 38, there are other verses, but you can see this over and over and over again. Now, from all of these verses, it seems like the Father gives some sort of moment-to-moment direction and directives to the Son. Like in one moment, the father says, this knowledge is not for you to have right now, right? Mark 13, 32. And the son, who's just as much God as the father, just as much, is so humble and submissive and obedient. He chooses not to access that knowledge, even though he could if he wanted to. So I think that's logically valid and and scripturally consistent and at least a possibility. Now, I'm going to say this, and and Johnny, I want to let you have the last word think about how this impacts how we think about jesus when he was on earth he was really human he he not only had the human nature he experienced the human condition and if we're understanding scripture correctly then, then he wasn't constantly accessing omniscience or omnipotence uh, the other omnis those things he, he was really living a human life he wasn't superman in the comic book sense he, he was superman in a much 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 more real life sense he had all of our limitations and weaknesses and temptations and still never messed up. I, I just, it's so hard to believe that when I mess up every day that, uh, that it's even possible for a man to, to feel all of the things that we feel, to go through all the things we go through and never mess up, right? He looked at life and temptation and struggles from our human perspective. Now we all know what, what it's like to feel powerless, to feel like, I can't fix this. I can't beat this. I can't change this. Jesus felt that, and he didn't even have to feel it at any time. He could have said, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with this pain and temptation and hurt, and, and he's done. He's, he's through with everything that we struggle with every day, and then he's invincible. He knows everything. He does anything. He's not taking orders from anybody. He's not dirty and sweaty and hungry. He doesn't have to use the bathroom. He doesn't get constipated. He's not relying on food for survival. All of this stuff that slows us down and reminds us of our weakness and makes us feel powerless, he didn't have to go through any of that. Just think, it seems like from when he was born to when he was 30 years old, Jesus did no miracles. And then when he does, his family's like, no way. His own brothers and sisters don't believe in his divine nature because they've seen him day in, day out for 30 years. That's literally 10 years longer than I've been alive. And every single day, they saw his humanity. He's not a miracle worker, you know, in their minds. He's just an average Joe. And I say that with the most tremendous reverence and respect and appreciation because he didn't have to go through any of that. But he did, and he did it on purpose. He willingly limited himself, and he did it for you and me. God Almighty really endured our weakness, and if that doesn't change everything about our lives, I don't know what can. Now, John, I've, I've been preaching for a while. I, I, I've been behind my pulpit for a little bit. What are yeah, you thinking, bro. man?
2: Preach, man. No, it was it was it was good. I think I think I would agree with you, and and I'll I'll just close out with a statement on my part, and then I'll let you close out uh, the podcast. But just to answer how this impacts. Our view of Jesus the one thing and you hit on it a lot that that caught that I have been caused to do by looking at the nature of Jesus is that we're not even in the differences in our models we're not talking about whether or not Jesus was really human or, or he wasn't human it was it's how how what's what's the logistics of that it was he was he right. was he was man he was man he lived as a man and, but he was a special man and, and that was evident. And um I was just thinking about it. I didn't, I didn't have this written down or anything, but there's like this tired um, worn out trope kind of like in in cinema. It's like the plot of so many movies and stories that there's this prophesied one. He's like you, but he's special and he's uh, yeah. coming to, to fix whatever the problem of the storyline is. And, where it's they all came up bor- with that yeah, it's all borrowed from Jesus, and so if we get the idea that that Jesus um, purely came as God, then we're missing the point because he was God. that's not what we're debating, but he also came as man, and so that's just that's just so powerful because he didn't have to, but he did and so mm-hmm. I guess I guess how that impacts my view of Jesus is is I see a God who is willing to subject himself to humanity. I think in one of the very early episodes of the series, you said you would think that adding a nature would be a plus, but adding the human nature really was like a, uh, I don't want to say uh, it negated anything about God, but it was like, like a burden. It's like a self-limitation, not only his divine omni characteristics, but something that he subjected himself that he could, and he did it for us.
1: I'll close with this quote because I think it really fits. I, I I wish I knew where I got this. I have no idea where this quote is from. I've I've read from so many people and listened to so many people and thinking about these things. And by the way, it, if you're wondering, there almost no preacher who who you listen to or somebody who's thinking through the Bible. Nobody's doing this completely on their own. Like we we are all working on the shoulders of great men who have spent their entire lives studying the Bible. So yeah, we, we, we don't want right, any credit. If, if, you, if, if you think our, if you are just completely mistaken and you think our ideas are just genius, just realize that they're built on different theories and ideas from all kinds of different people through the ages.
2: If I said anything that makes sense, I got it from someone else. And if I said <laughs> anything, you're like, what is he talking about? I probably came up with that by myself, so. <laughs>
1: no, if I said any false doctrine, it definitely came from Johnny. Like that's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so the quote. Beautiful quote. It has a bunch of big words in it. Try not to get lost in them. Just appreciate it for what it is. The orthodox doctrine of the incarnation is compelling, beautiful, biblically sensible, and salvifically necessary, but it is nevertheless utterly inscrutable. And that's okay. In the end, the incarnation is not for analysis, but for worship. What we've been doing for the past four episodes has been analyzing the incarnation. We, we've been trying to understand how it might've happened, understand how it's possible. And I think it's, it's, it's a worthy pursuit, right? We're trying to understand it for ourselves and how it's possible, but then also so we can explain to people who are opposed to the Christian worldview. But in the end, as Christians, Right now. If you're listening to this, you probably are a Christian. We don't have that many listeners. Hey, but we hit a thousand uh thousand downloads in the History Whoa. of the Bible Storm podcast this week. So look at us go. Um, thank you, Bible stormers. Keep keep it up. <laughs> but anyway, if you're listening to this, you're probably a Christian. So as we're thinking through all these things, try not to get lost and trying to make sense of it all and trying to which I if, if you know me, you know I, I like to make sense of things. I like to understand things. But more importantly than, than any of that is to appreciate what Jesus did for us, right? And to worship Him, to worship the Father, the Spirit, to thank them for their scheme of redemption and how they didn't have to do any of this. If anybody owes us absolutely nothing, it's Jesus. But... He's the one who gave us absolutely everything. So until next time, Bible stormers, keep on thinking about that. Keep on worshiping. Keep on becoming more like Jesus every day. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at Network at gmail.com. That's Network at gmail.com. Remember, You can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.